Hello, Livingstone Church. Though we aren't gathered in person on this Lord's Day, it's still a blessing from the Lord to be able to come into his presence and to worship him and to know that we are still united to one another because of our shared union with Christ. Before we get started this morning, I do have a couple announcements for us. The first is an opportunity we have with, uh, to volunteer with the Oshkosh Area Community Pantry, a food pantry in town. Uh, right now, they're looking for five volunteers uh, to help for three-hour shifts on either Tuesday or Thursday. Uh, those volunteers will be uh, boxing food. They're also looking for donations right now. Uh, but what I want you to really do is stay tuned for an email from Zach Frazier that's going to be uh, coming out soon with more details. Secondly, uh, tomorrow, that's uh, Monday on the 30th, uh, we have a congregational check-in Zoom call at 7.30 p.m. Again, that's tomorrow at 7.30 p.m. You should have received an email yesterday uh, with information on that Zoom call. There's a link that you can click to join uh, on your computer with a video. And if you don't have a computer readily available, or Wi-Fi, you can also call in. There's a phone number there as well as a meeting ID that you'll need in that email to join on the call. Love to see as many of you there tomorrow as possible if it works in your schedules. Uh, we're gonna be trying to have these times on a weekly basis where we can come together as a church, at least online, and to keep up with what's going on in one another's lives and to pray for each other. So again, I'd encourage you tomorrow at 7.30 to join us on that call. And then lastly, I just want to encourage you to stay in contact with your community groups. Uh, first, about whether or not you're going to be meeting or doing online calls during this time, but also just to stay connected and to check in on one another and see how you're doing, and see how you can be praying for and caring for one another in this time. Though so many things, I think, over these past few weeks have changed in all our lives, it seems like just a... Just yesterday that I was at a men's time and the news came up that the NBA season had canceled. It seems like so much has changed in the couple of weeks since then. Our greatest need has not changed in the middle of this time, which is why even in the middle of these challenging circumstances, we still set apart time for worship. Our need to praise God, to bring our sin to him, to be pointed to his grace at the cross, to hear from his word, to be sent into our everyday lives, to live for God and to love our neighbor is still the same today as it was three weeks ago. So in light of that, let's read together our call to worship. And I'm going to give you a moment right now to turn to Psalm 93, which is where our call to worship is going to be this morning. Let's read together Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength is his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Let's pray. Holy and mighty Father, we know that you are on your throne. 
Though everything in our lives can be shaken, you cannot be shaken. Your kingdom remains and your purposes will not fail. As we come and worship you today, we ask that you would work in us by your Holy Spirit to help us fix our eyes on you. May you be glorified by the worship and the lives of your people. Amen. Let's sing together Psalm 46. The lyrics are with the worship guide that should be uh, attached online along with this audio. of God, the nations at his feet. He breaks the bow and bends the spear and tells the wars to cease. O mighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire. Lord of hosts, you us in the fire, with us as a shelter, with us in the storm. You will lead us through the fiercest battle. Oh, where else would we go but with the Lord of hosts? Oh, God of Jacob, fierce and great.
As we come to our time of confession, I'd like to prepare our hearts by reading the beginning of Psalm 32. I want to read verses 1 through 4 for us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Notice in verse 3 it says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. We were not made to keep our sin from God, to try to keep silent before him and hide our sin. Instead, we're supposed to confess our sin to God, to come before him in honesty. So instead of keeping silent about our sin before God, let's acknowledge our sin to him and ask for mercy and forgiveness. Let's confess our sins together with the prayer that's in the worship guide. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. Please take a moment for silent self-examination and personal confession of sin. There is good news for those who acknowledge their sin to God and turn to him in faith. Let me continue reading in Psalm 32 with verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There is forgiveness for those who turn to God, confess their sins, repent of their sins, and turn to Christ in faith. Let's worship our God as we sing in Christ alone, and great is thy faithfulness. drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled when striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand Alone, who took on flesh, 
fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth Day up from the grave, he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of. Of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Great is thy faithfulness. 
confession of faith this morning, we're going to be using the first question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, this catechism isn't a part of our confessional standards in the PCA, but it is a part of the larger Reformed family, and it's particularly treasured throughout church history for its warm and its practical tone. In this catechism, uh, we're not only reminded of what is true, uh, but why the basic truths of our faith are so good and are so comforting to us. And that tone is set with the first question, which is my personal favorite question and answer from any catechism in church history. So let's confess our faith together. I will read the question and then we'll all respond together. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. This question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism is so appropriate for our circumstances these days, is it not? In a time when it's so easy in the midst 
of fear and isolation and frustration to look to other things for comfort and for hope. We need to be reminded daily that our only hope, our only comfort in life and in death is found in God, that we belong to him, that he purchased us by the blood of Jesus, that he is in control of our lives, that not even a hair can fall from our head apart from his will. And we can find in that truth, true comfort and true hope where the world has none. So let's stand firm on our confession of faith that we belong to God. In our calendar for organizing our weekly liturgies, this Sunday is a children's message Sunday. So I'd like to take just a moment to talk to the kids. Hey kids, uh, I bet this is really weird for you, not being able to go to church on Sunday, not being able to see all your friends. And I want you to know that it's really weird for us adults too, and that that's okay. And I can't wait to be able to go to church again and see you guys all again. Now, I know you kids, I know that you're pretty smart, so you probably already know what I'm about to teach you, but I do want to remind you of these things. I want to remind you that things aren't always easy and fun in life. Sometimes we have to do things that we don't want to do. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes we're frustrated. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we do things that we know we shouldn't do, and we feel bad about that, or we feel guilty. But when those things happen, can we still have hope? Yeah, we still can. And do you know why? We can have hope because we belong to God. God made you. God knows everything about you. And you belong to him. And that's really, really good news. So what I want you to do this week is to try to memorize something. I want you to memorize the answer to the question that I asked just a couple minutes ago. What is your only comfort in life and in death? If you think that you can memorize the long answer, that would be really awesome. Maybe you could ask your parents for help. But if the whole answer is too long for you, then you can memorize this shorter answer. That I am not my own, but belong to God. Let me say that again. That I am not my own, but belong to God. Can you try saying that with me one time? That I am not my own, but belong to God. Let's try that answering the question now. What is your only hope in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong to God. And maybe you could even try questioning and quizzing your brothers or sisters this week to try to memorize it and see who can memorize it first. So I also want to remind you of one other thing and help you out here. I know that it's probably a lot harder for you right now to pay attention to the sermon when we're not at church, but I want to encourage you to pay attention and even ask your parents questions about things that you don't understand. Think you can do that? Awesome. So let me pray for you. Father, thank you that these children belong to you and that you love them. Help them to remember that this week and help them today during the sermon to listen well that they might hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Hello, Livingstone Church. Let's pray together as we begin our time in God's Word today. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you gave everything uh, to secure a people for your name. I thank you that we can be counted among those people. I pray that as we look at your Word today, as we study it, as we spend time being refreshed by it, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would um, encourage our hearts, and that you would challenge us to, to take the steps needed in our lives in obedience to you to become fully trained, fully equipped disciples who who passionately love you and who are fully devoted to you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So how do you react when someone tells you what to do? Especially when what you're being told to do um, is the complete and utter opposite of what you want to do. Um, there are things like doing your homework um, if you're in school, meeting a work deadline if you have a job, um, cutting out unhealthy foods from your diet, stopping at a stop sign, or even staying inside, avoiding all human contact for weeks. Um, how do you how do you react when when you're told to do those things? We generally feel the tension of of such instructions, right? We we really meet meet those moments with hearts that can be full of resentment, anger, or at the very least frustration. We don't want to do those things. Um, every time you tell me. What not to do, it makes me want to do it even more, right? We, we often have that attitude. But oftentimes, these types of things are for our benefit, are they not? Doing our homework, for instance, leads to learning material and successfully completing a class, making decent grades, meeting deadlines at work will help you to keep your job. Having a better diet uh, can decrease your health problems. Avoiding crowded places in the season that we're all in right now can reduce our chances of of getting sick. And so it can be really easy for us um, to look at all these things, all the restrictions that life throws our way and kind of project that on, on Jesus and his teaching. And the world does that all the time. You know, people outside the church, it's not uncommon to, to hear comments like Christianity is, is restricting, it's limiting, um, it's suffocating. There's so many rules to follow and, and things to do. And, and it can be really easy for us inside the church to adopt that mindset and to, to see Jesus as if he, he is limiting us and he's taking things away from us. Um, but praise God, as we've seen in the life and ministry of Jesus, looking through the gospel of Luke, that, that's really not what Jesus is doing. And he's not calling us to a life of restraint. He, he's calling us to life itself. Last week, Josh reminded us of the reality that true discipleship does cause earthly loss, but that loss leads to heavenly gain as we imitate Christ, as we're being made more like him. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon, I'd encourage you to, um, especially as we spend the next weeks, you know, continuing in, in Luke's gospel. And this that'll also give you more context around what we're going to be spending our time on today. Our earthly discipleship points to something greater than just acts of kindness or self-denial, more than just do's and don'ts. Um, our discipleship points us to our Father in heaven, who, as we saw last week, is kind to the ungrateful and evil He's full of mercy. And as, as we continue to look at the words of Jesus this morning, let's remember that. These words are challenging. There's no, no question. Um, it, it's not that these are easy things to digest or, or things that we can process quickly and apply to our lives immediately. But, but Jesus wants us to hear what he has to say. He wants us to hear his word. And Jesus wants to change us by his word. And so this morning, let, let's go into this passage with that in mind, 
that, that Jesus wants to change us by his word. He wants to make us more like him. And then as we're doing that, let, let's remember remember this, that sin often makes us make little of, of Jesus. And when our actions flow out of self-oriented hearts, we can seek to take from others instead of give to them. Uh, but actions that flow out of Christ-oriented hearts give to others, um, spend our time pouring out to others um, and loving others because we've been given much. And so let's, now that the stage is kind of set, um, let, let's look at the, the passage for, for today. Let's look at Luke 7, verses 37, excuse me, Luke 6, 37 through 42. Um, and I'm going to read that for us, for us now. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take out the log from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. And there are lots of things to, to see this morning in this passage, um, but the, the main idea that I'd like for us to, to see here is that seeing Jesus Christ for who he is changes the way we see everything else. Seeing Jesus Christ for who he is changes the way we see everything else. Uh, and, and Jesus doesn't just want his disciples to see better. Um, he wants us to see correctly. He wants us to see, to see rightly, right? And, and so how does he do that? And, and what, what does that look like? And so we're going to look at three, three different things. Seeing Jesus helps us to seek the good of others. Seeing Jesus helps us to see the depth of our sin. And seeing Jesus helps us become like him. And so starting with this first, first point, looking at verses 37 and 38, seeing Jesus helps us seek the good of others. Um, if you look at verse 37, judge not. You look at Western individualism, and you'd see that if Western individualism had a life verse, this would be the one. And one pastor puts it puts it well when he says that Americans love this verse because judging someone else is thought to be the most heinous of crimes. Right? To judge and pass judgment is one of the worst things we can do to each other in the eyes of the world around us. And even even as followers of Jesus, we can we can feel this way, right? Like no one wants to be judged and and be. Um, analyzed by others and be criticized by others or condemned, right? Judgment equals bad every time in, in our in our culture. It's not loving. It's actually hateful. It's not uncommon to hear, right? Um, a lot of people will say things like, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. And so there's a defiance to judgment. Um, and we like to use Luke 6, verse 37 to point out that, you know, you can't judge me. God says so. Um, and, and so this idea... Um, of judgment brings out a strong reaction, right? It's kind of like what we talked about at the beginning when we have these restrictions placed on us, um, even good ones. Uh, we, we tend to, to meet those restrictions with disdain and, and a, 
a bad attitude, right? And as much as we hate the idea of being judged, on one hand, it can often be very, very easy to fall into patterns in our own lives where we not only judge others, but we go out of our way to find their flaws, to find things we can judge that may be present in the lives of other people. And this is an issue, right? It's an issue for us today, and it's also an issue in the context of, of Luke when it was written. Uh, many people interacting with Jesus up to this point judged other people, right? And when, when we look at the Pharisees, for example, back in chapter 5, they took a great issue with Jesus dining with tax collectors and sinners. You know, they asked Jesus, why, why are you spending time with these people? They don't deserve your time. They don't deserve anything. Um, and, and those religious leaders and, and even government leaders at the time, you know, went out of their way to to marginalize these marginalize these people, to um, express to them how little worth they thought they had. And so judgment is, has been around for a long time. And um, things like Jesus healing diseased men and letting uh, men and women touch him, touch his garments as he passed by, why did... Why did Jesus let those people do that? Why did he spend time with them? Why did he pursue those people deemed as unworthy by, by the world around them? Because he saw their deepest need, right? Jesus saw that, that these, were, these were people made in God's image that uh, they, don't, they don't deserve to be pushed aside, right? They, they deserve to hear what their deepest need in this life and the next is, and it's him. And, and so he... He went out of his way through great sacrifice during his earthly ministry to, to express that, to show that, to be present for people so that they could see that. And notice um, in, this, in this chapter, Jesus' instructions to his disciples that he's speaking to here, this is not a list of restrictions, um, but it's also not a license to do whatever we want, right? And so Jesus you know, says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. And so he's not just trying to accentuate these negative, negative things, right? Often we use judgment and condemnation as an opportunity uh, to demean other people in order to feel better about ourselves or validated in our own life choices. Um, a lot of times that looks like taking value and worth away from other people and, <clears throat> and replacing that, right? Elevating ourselves. And what Jesus is saying here in, in no uncertain terms is that that behavior, that posture of our heart does not characterize the children of God, right? This type of judgment for judgment's sake and condemnation for condemnation's sake um, is, not, is not who God is and it's not what his children are like. And I think that's really important before we, before we just kind of look at this through a superficial lens and, um, and read into it what a lot of our culture does. You know, there's, there's a lot going on here um, that that Jesus is saying, I think it's important for us to just slowly make our way through through his words. <clears throat> um, so judgment, for judgment's sake, just finding out the flaws in others just so you can can point them out to them and condemn them. Um, you know, this, this isn't the behavior of a disciple of Jesus. But this also isn't to say that things like church discipline or, or the loving correction of a friend or a fellow church member are, are now off the table, you know, that doesn't mean these are bad things to do. Church discipline is good and essential, um, not because it protects people in the church, but because it, it glorifies God, right? This is what God wants. He wants his people to know him. Church discipline seeks the spiritual health and restoration of individuals who 
who are struggling, who are dealing with sin in their lives, right? And and so that's a different thing entirely from just pointing out people's faults and pointing out their issues and pushing them aside, right? Church discipline is an act of love, whereas judgment for judgment's sake it is not. It's, it's an act of, of hating your neighbor in many ways. And so this is this is where Jesus' commands of forgiveness and generosity come in, right? So when we're looking at, at verse 37, he follows these two negative commands with forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Jesus um, wants us to understand that he's he's not just saying, do this, don't do this, right? As as sons of the most high, which is how he refers to his people in verse 35, just a few few lines above the section we're in, we are to be characterized by forgiveness and generosity, and not just on a once for all basis, not just, you know, forgiving once um, and, and moving on, but the forgiveness and the generosity with which the disciples of Jesus are supposed to to enact in their in their lives is something that happens daily. We're supposed to daily forgive because we've been daily forgiven by our Father. We're supposed to daily give of ourselves, of our time, of our resources because Jesus has given much for us and and still is giving to us right in our daily lives. That wasn't just something that, that happened one time, um, but but Jesus is is engaging with us and reflecting the Father's love constantly in our lives even right now, right? And that's, that's a good thing. We don't, we don't want that to be something that he did once and then walks away from, right? Jesus is engaged with us as his people. And we on the same, on the same hand, as we interact with one another in Christian community, whether that be virtually or whether it be in person, um, we're to, we're to love one another, we're to forgive one another as often as is required because we've been forgiven and we're to give to one another, to give our time, um, to to make those phone calls to check and see how our neighbors are doing in the midst of of isolation or in the midst of discouragement, um, we're to we're to give of ourselves in those ways, right? Because Jesus has done that for us. <clears throat> and discipleship is ongoing. I think is what what we really need to see here. We're being made more and more like Christ as we do these things over and over and over again, right? As we're seeking him, we are, as a, as a direct consequence, seeking the good of our friends and neighbors, right? So loving God looks like this. Like on the ground, our love for God should be reflected in the way that we're, we're loving our neighbors and engaging with our neighbors, whether those neighbors are the people we're married to, the people that are our kids, or our fellow church members, right? <clears throat> because he's kind to the ungrateful and evil and is merciful as, as we saw last week um, during, during the passage there that we looked at, um, we should be kind. We should be, we should be merciful to, to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors, um, because we're following his example. Verse 38 also shows that as we follow Christ, he gives us more and more um, of that ability, right? He gives us more than we need. He gives us, um, the ability to forgive more and more, to give generously more and more. And we're not capable of doing that on our own, right? Um, when we are we're wronged, our first instinct is not to forgive. Oftentimes it is to judge. It is to point out the wrong, the fault of the other person. And we want to condemn them when someone has hurt us deeply or hurt someone that we care about deeply. 
We want nothing to do with them, right? And and Jesus is saying, forgive because you've been forgiven and you will be forgiven. Give generously, give and, and much will be given to you, right? And as so as we are walking the path of discipleship in our daily lives, as we are seeking to do these things, to live lives obedient to the Lord, he's giving us more and more the ability to do that more and more, right? He, he doesn't just give us the bare minimum ability through his spirit to obey him. As we, as we obey day by day, we, we're growing in godliness, right? We're moving somewhere. We're going toward him. And I think this is a snapshot of what that looks like, right? He, he, he gives us the ability to do that more and more. And it even says that in verse 38, you know, good measure, measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, we put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so God gives us what we need, but he gives us more than just what we need, right? He gives us an abundance of that ability because of his abundant love. And you may be asking, you know, how, how am I supposed to do this? You know, how am I supposed to, to forgive this way, to, to give of my time and my resources and myself this way? Um, and hopefully we have the answer here. You know, God gives us this ability. As I was saying over and over each day and increasing amounts as we follow him faithfully, he, he gives us this, which is a, a, such a grace, grace to us as his disciples. And this brings us to our second point for taking notes. Um, so seeing Jesus helps us seek the good of others and seeing Jesus also helps us see the depths of our sin. And so, have you ever noticed that sometimes we have to hear things more than once? Um, if you are married, for instance, sometimes your spouse has to say something more than one time for you to maybe hear it or to remember it. Um, if you have kids or work with kids, or even if you work with lots of adults, um, we have to repeat ourselves, right? We, we, um, we have to say things more than one time. And no matter if that's a difficult subject at school or instructions on how to complete a certain task at your job, we, we almost always need to hear things multiple times. And, and our good father knows this about us. And, and it's helpful to hear things more than once, but it's also helpful to hear things in more than one way. And so this is where Jesus's use of parables comes in so helpfully for us um, in verse 39. Jesus isn't just, he isn't just talking to people who may not have heard some of his teaching prior to this point, right? Jesus is talking to his disciples. These are people who know him, who love him, who are giving a lot of themselves to him and, and, and for, um, for him because they believe that he, he is God and he has come to redeem the world. And, and so these are people familiar with all these things. They've heard these things before. And I think that should inform something of the way that we understand this passage. You know, it's easy to, to hear these commands of Jesus and, and, would almost seem like a no-brainer, right? Don't judge people. Don't condemn people. Love them. You know, love your enemies. Sure. You know, um, give to those who don't deserve it at all, right? Um, but Jesus is telling people who who know all the right answers, but he, he knows they need to hear this more. They need to hear it again. They need to be reminded of of why. You know, why are we to not judge? Why are we why are we to, to not condemn? Why are we to forgive and be giving people? And so I think the use of parables really, really helps um, hammer a lot of his points home throughout the Gospels. And that's definitely what we see, what we see here. And this should 
This should also inform our hearts as we study not just this passage, but all of God's word, right? There's, there's not a word or a passage in all of scripture that's not relevant to our lives if you're a follower of Jesus. Everything that is said, whether Jesus is saying it explicitly in the Gospels, or whether it's written in the earliest parts of the Old Testament, right? This is, this is for us. We're the people of God. His word is for his people. And, and there's nothing that's irrelevant. There's nothing that we should ever just kind of skim past. I think we can, we can learn to be edified and be made more into the image of Jesus by, by looking at each verse, every line, um, and, and letting it change us, right? And that's definitely the case here. That's true here. And, and that's difficult, right? It's hard to forgive deep wounds that others have caused us. It may seem impossible to give of your time and resources or your abilities for the good of other people. Maybe you feel like you don't have time. Maybe you feel like people don't deserve your time, right? But even so, Jesus is making clear that difficulty or a lack of desire have a greater impact on our lives as disciples of Christ than we may think, right? So let's let's look at verse 39. He just asked them, he told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? In our pride, we can become become so puffed up and so blinded to the issues and shortcomings in our own lives um, that we can operate this way, right? We can we can be functionally like blind um, from from a discipleship standpoint. And so I, I want to ask us today: you know, are there things in your life you'd rather not talk about? Are there hurts that you have that have been just buried for for a long time? Are there secret sins that you need to confess? and deal with, not just confess to, to the Lord, but confess to your neighbor, to the ones that you live with. If there are these things, and inevitably there are in our lives, right? These things happen. Um, these things aren't minor issues that could just impair relationships, or um, they're not just things that make us make us blind to other people's needs, or keep us from being as effective for Christ as we could be. But these things really keep us from God. They prevent us from growing in holiness. They prevent us from loving our neighbor and making disciples in the world around us, right? Our blindness to sin should should cause us to, to stop and examine our hearts, right? And scripture is filled with reminders of this, that, that you know, pride comes before the fall, right? We, we have to have hearts that are humbly seeking after the Lord, in the moment or the moments that come when we're puffed up with pride, when we feel like because we are his, because we know and are sure and are sure in our faith that, that we don't need to be taking these incremental steps day by day to grow in godliness, those things blind us over time. And, and that's serious, right? Um, we, we need to see sin for what it is. Um, even even in our daily lives, even in these like minute ways, that sin might play out, right? It's it's not just a private affair. It's, it's a serious thing that impacts us, it impacts others, and it, and it impacts our relationship with, with 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 other people. And so Jesus illustrates this well, I think, by by referring to these things as as logs, right? Um, skipping over verse forty for now, we're going to come back to it. But in verse forty-one, he says, "Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye?" I think Jesus is pointing out here. You know, don't you see something is wrong? 
when this is how we interact with those around us. Um, if you have ever had anything in your eye, you know that uh, that's un it's uncomfortable. It's it's hard to see, right? And very often we just have small things like dust will get into our, our eye, like pollen. You know, maybe a wood chip or something like finds its its way there and is uncomfortable, and we have to get it out, right? But while that's going on, you're not seeing clearly. You're not focused on what's in front of you. Um, you're you're impaired by that, by that being in in your line of sight, right? And so you and I, we can't just look beyond a log in our eye, right? If that's present, we, we can't see where we're going or what we're doing. We can't love our neighbors. We can't love our spouse. We can't love our kids. Uh, we can't love those we're in covenant community with in the church uh, well, or or even lead those we care about uh, uh, well, you know, if, if we are distracted by, by a log in our eye. If there's sin that we're not dealing with if there's there's pain and hurts that we're harboring against other people, these these things don't have insignificant effects in our lives, and I, I think it's important for us to to be reminded of that, right? These act as logs; they, they keep us from from doing what we're made to do as as those who've been redeemed by Jesus to be His disciples. We we can't effectively be a disciple with a log in our eye, right? And we can even lead people away from Jesus rather than to him when this is the case. And, and so his, his word to us in this, in this part of the passage, I think is to not be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Instead, be holy. As we see our sin more and more the way that our father sees it, the less we're going to try to hide it or stifle its impact. And the more we're going to want it out and open out into the open and, and, and dealing with it. Right. And why is it that we, we, we hide? Why, why do we not do those things? Why do we ignore the log in our eye so often when we're dealing with, with one another? And I think it goes back to the beginning of, of, of this passage today. You know, often our fear of judgment and condemnation keeps us, keeps us from acknowledging what's, what's going on in our hearts. It keeps us from dealing with it. It keeps us from the painful process of removing that, right? Because it's not pleasant very often. A log in your eye, you know, these pains in our heart that really can harden us and callous us towards others aren't easy things to be undone, right? We we need God's help, and we need the help of one another um, in in our in our church, right, to come alongside us to help us to work through those things. Um, and I, I think our fear of judgment and our fear of condemnation will also it will almost Always, if we're not focused on Christ, it, these things will just keep us in the shadows. It'll it'll make us keep hiding. We'll never be transparent. We'll always avoid tough conversations, right, if that's the case. Uh, but Jesus is calling those who are following him out of shadows, right? Jesus is calling us to become like him. And, and that brings us to our final point, that seeing Jesus helps us become more like him. So going back to verse 40, you know, Jesus says that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And so Jesus has shared all this with his disciples, and he shares it with us now on, on this specific day to remind to remind us of what the point of discipleship is. Right? To be to be like our teacher, to be like our father. Being a genuine disciple of Jesus does not mean that we have all the, the all the right answers. It doesn't just mean that we know stuff now and we can tell other people what we know. 
right? Our job is not to educate the sinners, quote unquote, around us, but to engage with with our fellow sinners, right? We are sinners. We we sin. We fall short of God's glory so often, and we're to engage with each other um, in the church, acknowledging that, right? That we're not perfect. That we deal with deep hurts often. We deal with deep sin in our life, um, but we've been redeemed, right, by, by Christ, right? And we can live out those promises of, of Christ together to remind each other, to keep each other's hearts from being hardened. Um, as other parts of the New Testament say, you know, we don't want to be hardened by sin. You know, we, we want to remind each other of sin's deceitfulness and, and move toward Christ and away from the shadows. And that's also true when we're engaging with, with the world, right? To be a true disciple of Jesus, for people to, to listen to what you and I have to say, we have to approach them in this way and in this posture of humility, knowing that we're not better than them because Jesus has, has saved us, but, but knowing that Jesus has been gracious to us and he's been gracious to them in many ways too. And we can work towards engaging with those relationships and building those relationships and helping people see that, right? And, and that doesn't happen in a posture of, of pride where we're looking down at others and where we are judging others for judgment's sake, where we are condemning the behavior and actions of other people. And, and those things are easy to do, but we need to cry out to the Lord to help us not do those things, right? Because they keep us from being a true disciple, to, for, for living out God's promises and God's commands the way he's called us to. And it also keeps us um, from making disciples. And so as we live as adopted sons of the Most High, again, which we talked about last week, I would really encourage you, if you didn't hear the sermon, to go back and listen to that. We, we need to pause from the distractions in our lives. We need to, to, to stop in, in those moments of, of striving after our own desires, of filling our own schedules, of being so busy um, with us and with, with our, our families, even good things, right? We can become so preoccupied with that we can compare ourselves to others and look down on others and, and just miss these, these huge opportunities God gives us daily to, to love him, to be his disciples, to make other disciples as, as we go, right? Like he tells us in the Great Commission. Um, and, and this is hard to do, right? Stopping from all the things that are going on is it, hard. Um, we don't, we don't want to stop. We want to keep going. We, we've got stuff to do. We have checklists to complete. Um, you know, we, we have good things that we're busy with. But in, in the midst of that busyness, oftentimes we can we can just overlook what God's doing and what he wants to do in, in our lives, right? We can walk around with those logs in our eye because we're, we're not slowing down to stop and deal with, with those things. <clears throat> and so that is hard, but to be like Jesus in every way, to be fully trained, as he's saying in verse 40, to be like him, right? Because our, our goal, God has saved us not to be above him, but to be, to be like him, right? To, to be like Christ in every way. Um, we're being made like him as we take these steps of obedience each day. Again, as we're, as we're choosing to forgive, as we're choosing to give our time and our resources and our talents and abilities um, to others, as, as we're choosing to pour ourselves out, we're being made more like Christ. And we can only do that if he, has been at work in our life, if he has saved us, if he's really shown us the goodness that there is in him, if he's only shown us the the, the riches of, 
of mercy that, that he's shown in sending us his son Jesus to, to live and die on our behalf so that he could rise and conquer sin and we would not be beholden to it anymore, right? Um, we, can, we can miss that in our busyness. And, and I think lately, um, in God's providence and in his, in his grace, I think, he, he is slowing us down. He's, he's made us stop. And he hasn't just made you and I stop, but he's made the world stop in, in these recent days. And so I want to ask, you know, how, how are you spending your newfound time? Uh, whether that be um, at home or if you have, you know, an office environment where you can go into work, how are you spending that time? You know, are you, are you climbing the walls looking for more distractions, attempting to escape via you know, boredom or, or dealing with things, right? Because I, I, th- I think the season is bringing out a lot of, of things in our, in our hearts that maybe we need to, d- to deal with, right? As, as we can't be busy with the distractions, um, even the good things that, that serve as distractions oftentimes, um, how are we responding to that, right? Are we, are we going back and kind of butting against that? Is there tension there? Like we talked about at the beginning of not being able to do something, but really just striving and fighting to do it. Um, is that, is that us? You know, how, how are you spending your time? Could it, could it be that God is making us slow down? Could it be that he wants us to grow in our love for him and our love for our neighbor, our neighbor down the street, our neighbors in our congregation at Living Stone? Could, could that be what he's doing right now? Could it be that the Lord is using this time of inconvenience and of uncertainty uh, to help us be fully trained disciples? I think it is. And, and I I think that we should um, should look at, at his word here and be challenged by it, right? To to use the time that he gives us, um, no matter if everything's going the way we would like it to, or if things are hard or challenging, or there's a lot of things that adversely affected you lately, to even use that time to to learn what it is he's doing, because he's using he's using this time for our good. Uh, our Lord is he's a good God, and he wants us to see Jesus so that we can be the disciples that he um, has created us to be. He, he wants us to see that seeing Jesus helps us seek the good of other people. He wants us to see Jesus so that we can see the depths of our sin. And he, he wants us to see Jesus so that we can become like Jesus. And that's my prayer for you and for me that today and, and every day that, that we would be um, seeking to do that. And so let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have something for us in all of it. Um, each page, each line um, is, is for us. And we thank you for being a God who has rescued his people from sin and death. And I thank you that, that we can be among those people today, Lord. Thank you that you hear our prayers um, and you intercede for us and that you, you care for us, Lord. And I, I pray that as we are challenged by your word today, that you would help us to to really stop and, and and look to you and listen to what you have to say to us, Lord, so that we would, would grow in discipleship, that we'd be made more mature in our faith and so that we could be used more effectively for your kingdom's sake. I pray for our church, that you would be with us all today as we spend time at home and that you would help us to spend that time in a way that glorifies you, that, that really points those who we live with um, and points our own heart uh, to the fact that uh, that you've created us to be like 
like you. And I, I pray that that would be our desire. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's end our service today by singing together the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.